0: Coastwave. <laughs> hey.
1: <Yeah>. Hello. Wazzup, <laughs> Was up. Was was
0: so you're, you're here with Eric and Trevor, your hosts, and today we've got some special guests on. We have Luke Collier and Richard Franklin from Edboard.
2: Hello. Happy to be here. So Luke and Richard, y'all are both based
0: in Colorado.
1: Yeah, still? yeah. Still in Colorado, still in the sort of the boulder area.
0: Mm-hmm. So you both went to CU as well.
1: Yes, yeah, CU Boulder. That's correct. Yep.
0: Wonderful.
2: What year did you all graduate?
0: This year. <laughs> this this year. year.
3: Well, this year and last year, right? I mean, my senior year. Um, like I wanted to graduate with um, my senior class, and you know, we had we just finished a big project. I wanted to celebrate with them. Um, so I graduated. I walked in graduation with them. And then I pieced out to Spain for a semester to, uh, wrap up, uh, some of my humanities classes and retake physics. Cause I needed to retake physics and Hey, why not do it in Spain? Um, yeah, awesome. I, I, I wasn't going to go back to CU, but then I did, uh, because, um, of these awesome business classes, um, that I had this opportunity to take, um, with Edboard board and we it was basically like a a venture a new venture prep class so ed board is is the company that i was brought into and i i dragged richard in and he's like loving it
1: yeah and the class was well i wasn't in the class because it conflicted with my schedule but it was a super cool like it was kind of an accelerator if you know about like business accelerators but in like a class like a semester class and there was judging and prizes and well cash prizes it was super cool
0: uh, that's awesome so so this kind of brings us into a question we wanted to ask you guys which was how did you get involved in your in your fields in your majors
1: yeah so my background is i'm what they call a strategic communications major which is basically the art of communicating to a targeted group of individuals. So that's like advertising, PR, media design, business communication. It's like marketing, but minus all like the math and projections.
0: Just the and fun part.
1: Well, well, yeah, it's basically like the best way I can describe it is like watch Mad Men and take away like the alcoholism and the depravity. Hey, <laughs> no,
3: the fun part is math.
0: Man. <laughs> well that's why you got into engineering right that's why yeah. he's an
1: engineer <laughs> yeah, yeah and I got involved with that because like when I was a kid I can remember when I was a kid watching TV and realizing that like wait all the ads are created like people had to make a decision right they mm-hmm. had to pick those words and I remember as a kid that was like I was really fascinated by that like that idea of like holy crap like that was a choice somebody decided to like use like words like it really works (laughs) new and improved right yeah so
2: how does how does your understanding of human psychology play into that are you just constantly constantly trying to like mind read people
1: (laughs) oh totally totally you're like that's what they train you at school is like get involved in the conversation go beyond the surface so i originally wanted to be a psych major and then basically college psychology only throws you down two paths one is like become a therapist, and the other one's, like, do research. And I'm like, I don't really like to do both. But then, you know, Luke took me. Again, Luke always plays a pivotal moment in many moments of my life. Oh, Took me to this awesome, like, meeting that this guy did, at, like, not start a week. And he gave this whole conversation of, like, behavioral economics. And he was talking about, like, they put milk behind at the back of the store because they want to get people to go deeper into the store when they buy. So where are the two common items people buy when they go to the store milk and eggs right i remember thinking like oh that's that's super cool and awesome and then you know i was looking around at programs at cu i was at front range getting a general associates degree and i'm like strategic communication they were talking about like understanding how people think and i'm like oh this is just the business application of psychology this is what i wanted to get into and then you know couple years later you come out with a bachelor of science even though every teacher i had said advertising is an art not a science Mm.
2: (laughs) i mean now with like machine learning though you can turn it into a bit of a science
1: (laughs) to a degree but like people people (laughs) like everybody works differently and you can't really throw like people in groups even though everybody tries right
2: yeah Mm. yeah it's never perfect.
0: so how about you, Luke? Uh, how did oh, you get into your background?
1: Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, basically, you know, ever since I was a young kid, I mean, obviously, all kids play with toys, right? But my uh, neighbor happened to own this company that made toys. Uh, mm. It's called Zomtool, and uh, it's basically like this geometric. Uh, toy. Um, I remember going down to the factory, you know, when I was a young kid and, you know, watching all the machines run and all that. I thought that was so cool. Um, My dad was a mechanical engineer. I was uh, part of the robotics team back in high school. All the while I was like building, um, you know, giant zone sculptures for my neighbor yeah for i mean first first robotics uh really really gave me like an an insight into how to work in a in a team Uh, as uh i did two years as a software developer and then two years as a uh, mechanical designer yeah just kept going from there
0: uh do you feel like there's a moment of clarity in your past where you decided yes this is what i'm gonna do or did it just sort of get laid out for you
3: there there was a
1: hmm i know Uh, it's like
3: (laughs) (laughs) there were many moments there were many moments (laughs) many moments of clarity many moments of disclarity what's the absolute obscurity obscurity yeah (laughs) and no i've always wanted to be an engineer oh right now right now you know i um being like a summer camp instructor and i like to teach but you know the kids kind of annoy me and um, american jobs and teaching just unfortunately don't pay that well
1: leave it to america to undervalue education Mm -hmm.
3: so i you know i never i didn't know whether i wanted to be in like an art major or like a Cause I, I'm always big into like art installations and like being like a, a, like a burning man artist. Right. Or yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with that. And like, what kind of different path in this general funnel, you know, at least I'm somewhere in the funnel. It may not be, Maybe like more near the top of the funnel, but at least I'm in a funnel, so you know we'll we'll see where it goes
1: we'll see where just it goes spiraling deeper and deeper into like the artist like and then after it comes out of the
3: funnel, right it just like spatters it's out tense. again oh,
1: yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's that's really fascinating me and trevor Tr- Trevor we were talking about um our own motivations in getting into music in our first episode
4: mm-hmm
0: and that maybe maybe the reasons we got into it were not uh entirely honest with ourselves at least in our own in our own cases and that um you know you kind of go through the funnel and once you get out the other side then you finally have the time to reflect and say wait is that really what I wanted to do <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i mean for for me it was kind of i uh I came right out of music school and I kind of, you know, took the first job that I could get, which was uh, playing piano for ballet classes, like 18 hours a week. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can, I could, this is like a almost full-time job. And uh, yeah, but I, I took it cause it was there and it, it, I didn't go to, into music school thinking that's what I wanted to do.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I remember having like this guy come and give a speech to one of my like classes, like first year at CU. I think he was like the, he was like the head of marketing at like Chipotle or something like some big guy. And he gave this whole speech about like, you know, that, that time when you do that thing and like hours and days turned like into minutes and you're like, wait, what the hell? The sun was up a minute ago. He's like, that's your body telling you that that's what you want to do. And you should follow doing that. And I'm like, that's a cool thing for a guy to say to come to a class. Like usually when like speakers come to class, it's like, you know, super boring or generic. Mm. But I was like, that kind of describes what it's like when you want, like, did you guys like think of like, I'm just going to become a music musician for the money. Or, like, <laughs> no musician ever says that realistically. Nobody's <laughs> like, I'm going to get rich on music. Right. Mm-hmm. No,
2: it was more about, for me, it was more about like fulfilling potential. And if I hadn't gone down that path, not knowing what my potential would have been, mm. that was more of the mindset.
0: Mm. And for me, it was kind of a lack of a mindset. I think there wasn't so much forethought that went into it. I didn't go through the effort of coming to terms with what I really wanted from that. Um, but it's cool because it sounds like both of you are really into what you're doing.
1: Which is great when you're working at a small startup.
0: <laughs> yeah so uh, tell us more about how you got involved with that. You said it was a, an actual class at CU that got you into the startup?
1: Uh, I mean, our founders, R- Cody, Ryan, Joy, and Ruhan, and was Wong in the class too? Wong, Wong yeah, Wong yeah. was the founder. This was like their junior design class, right? And they have a series of topics and the idea is that you have to create a product and create a business plan around it and, like, make the product and it has to be something you can, like, physically achieve. mm mm-hmm. So they came up with this idea. They were all like super passionate about like education, and they were like, you know, they're making this product. They're having, you know, they're doing the classwork, and they're like, holy crap, this is cool. And then they kind of just spun it into a business, and then they went through CU's accelerator, Cattle ICU, you know, got some great mentorship, got some and money. I mean, yeah, you I were was involved with that.
3: Yeah, so I I, I stepped in when. They they finished their junior design class. Um, they presented. They got like pretty pretty high up there at, in the ITL like uh, project expo. Were
1: um, like the people's choice, right? Airport
3: people's choice was that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know maybe maybe the the junior projects like you know the person who gets first place you know that still might that still might be a, like a project they never come back to but. Um, the, these people were so involved that they ended up coming back, back to it again and again. And we um, re- recruited a lot, of, a lot of people who were just like, so passionate about just education that just, they just wanted to share their passion for education and engineering and STEM. <clears throat>
4: uh,
3: STEM and STEAM, which is STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and math, and mm. STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, but I'm I'm not sure whether we fall into a steam or STEM category. I guess we could save that for a, a different topic. But let's that see. is a that debate that is beyond... a that is a topic. Um. <laughs> uh. But what was I gonna say? So I I came in during uh, the Catalyze CU program, and um, it's basically like this program where they they got a bunch of free mentorship and. Oh, by the way, uh, free money to help start your business, um, but uh, then they ended up not taking any of the money personally and just in, investing it in uh, into business savings. And well, that's that's kind of what we're spending now with um, all of our
1: mm-hmm.
3: advertising money and the and the um, materials budget and all of that. Um, and mm-hmm. and so I've been I've been mostly manning the um, prototyping and uh developing the developing the product uh, making it easier to use um and then finding finding stuff. yeah finding faster easier ways to manufacture
1: it um and i've been doing the marketing and advertising stuff yeah i came into Edboard last summer as a junior soon to be senior and i'm like scratching my head of like well they need experience like employers want experience and then Luke came to me. It's like, well, I'm working at this startup, and they're always looking for people, and so I joined them. And I'm like, this is way better than any internship. And you know, I didn't, I don't want to say I have an engineering background, but like, I come from like on my dad's side of the family, I come from a very engineering family. My grandfather taught electrical engineering at Stanford he, for like 40 years. He, so. he wrote the book
3: on <laughs> electronic controls, right? Or what was uh, that?
1: Primary work was on
3: control theory control theory and then your great 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 great
1: grand uncle uh, took a key to lightning right Oh, you have to bring up that (laughs) you have to bring up that I'm related to a man on currency (laughs) wait tell tell us about that (laughs) I am related to Benjamin Franklin if you couldn't tell by my last he was like one of 17 kids so that's not (laughs) like a thing you gotta have a lot of people to work on the farm Mm mm-hmm right so like yeah even though i didn't like i'm not an engineer you know i kind of understood the value of it coming from like such a highly educated family definitely and like it's funny like the edboard is basically a breadboard which is an engineering tool but coming into edboard i had no idea what a breadboard was
0: yeah so uh so luke can you tell us uh about what breadboards are
3: what are breadboards? Uh, well... if I Let me explain a breadboard
1: for oh, a guy. Okay, Actually, no, so ahead, ex,
3: Luke. Ex, ex, an engineer explaining a breadboard versus a creative advertising <laughs> guy explaining a breadboard. This will be interesting. So a breadboard is a tool that um, electrical engineers use that are basically a grid of sockets that um, are connected underneath um, that you can Connect wires between the sockets to prototype electronics. So you stick a you stick a chip in, in like the middle of the breadboard, and um, not a corn chip, just a just an electronics chip. Uh, <laughs> and you know it could have it could have eight pins, four on each side, and you know a bunch of wires connecting to it. And um, that's uh, that's what uh, the the primary tool that electronics engineers and tinkerers and makers use to prototype their experiments.
1: Cool. So for all you non-engineers in the audience, mm-hmm. a breadboard is a tool used to plan and develop circuitry. Somebody like Steve Jobs or Steve Wozniak would have used a breadboard when developing the first Apple computers. Like, it is the basic tool. Like, that is... like. You know, what's the most, like, as a musician, like, as a metronome, like, a basic tool that, like, any <laughs> musician would be, like, familiar with? Yeah, literally. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, like, so, if you're an electric engineer, a Brett, and you're working at, like, some big company, right? They expect you to know how to use a breadboard, right? Like, how, like, you're like, wait, you're a musician and you don't know what a metronome oh. is? It's kind mm. of like
2: a blank sheet of paper, isn't it? A breadboard? Yeah, I'm just,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. yeah. I, I like mm. that metaphor. <laughs>
1: it's the it's the canvas in which engineers create electricity.
0: Mm-hmm. So um so tell us then, what is the Edboard?
1: The Edboard is a so it's a circuitry building tool that's designed to get kids like excited about STEM. And we chose or at least our founders chose circuitry is the main source of where they want to focus on STEM education, because they found that there isn't really a lot of circuitry tools for kids.
4: Mm.
1: And that's like the area of STEM that they thought would be the most impactful. One of the first things we teach, we teach about like electrical flow and all that. All of our circuitry stories take place in this town. You're supposed to like figure out how to like help the town. So there's like the first thing we teach them is like, you're building a traffic light. For this main street of the city for the festival so we're teaching kids sort of the building blocks of technology mm. while mm-hmm. also showing them the applications for it
0: that's cool super cool mm-hmm. are you guys familiar with uh the book the way things work by david macaulay and neil ardley
1: it sounds like would... a book i'd be getting oh be yeah yeah college. yeah oh i have it i have it, I have it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i'm
3: pulling it out right now <laughs> uh-huh yeah yeah oh my favorite oh yeah I remember this when I was a kid yeah. right yeah yeah. Oh, yeah
1: holy crap I think I've seen that book before in my life too whoa that is oh
3: god crap. I need to revisit this oh mm-hmm. <laughs> not
1: on the podcast
0: though <laughs> paying good or
1: people are not paying people are spending time to listen to us
0: yeah by the way people mm-hmm. like comment subscribe mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the way things work, I I thought about that the moment I heard about your your project. Uh, this book was, uh, I, I, this was just a, a book that I enjoyed a lot when I was a kid.
3: Oh yeah, me too.
1: I think yeah, I think a lot of people are more into STEM than they think. You know? And
3: and the the book follows a um, right uh, not a walrus, a mammoth.
0: Mammoths, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it it's story based. There's mammoths are integral, which is fun, and it's filled with all these fun little illustrations that help you understand the way things work.
1: Yeah, with Edboard, we use bugs.
0: Bugs? Yeah, I oh, know. They're called. You they're might want to iron that out.
1: They're cute bugs. <laughs>
3: iron out the bugs oh gosh that's oh, that's cruel
1: haven't you seen bugs life uh,
2: <laughs> eric's very sadistic uh,
1: <laughs> i take it you're uh eric you're not into bugs
0: no no, no. Uh, this is a is a technology pun <laughs> Oh, forms, a bug. Oh, yeah. Can,
4: well, I mean, <laughs> wow. children
1: do debug the problems in their circuits to learn more about them.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Did that Did that really never occur to us? Did that? <laughs> you found a bug in your circuit.
2: So, I don't know about y'all, but when I was a kid, I had a couple of those, like, electronics kits with the springs that you put the wires in mm. and connect stuff that way. How are y'all, like, trying to distinguish yourself from, from that kind of thing? Are you thinking so, about that?
1: yeah the cool thing we do too is we have magnets Mm -hmm. so the idea is that you can see all the wires laid out Mm -hmm. so you can see all the connections that your circuit has and then you have these like wire pieces that you have Mm -hmm. and you kind of put them in there and playing with magnets isn't like intrinsically fun Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the other fun thing too about it being my magnetic is that you can build like buildings and stuff and like have 3d circuits Mm -hmm. which is super fun that's pretty awesome
2: yeah, it's
3: it's a it's a fun it's a fun building toy. Um, we never even knew it could be a building toy. Take in them cool, Yeah. So yeah, the
1: <laughs> other thing cool thing about edboard is like all the skills you learn on an edboard are like transferable to like tools an electrical engineer would do. Mm-hmm. Like a mm-hmm. traditional breadboard. Like we're actually we got a paper published and we did some research and it was like kids who were able to build a circuit on a edboard were able to build it on a breadboard and like a breadboard's like four inches long and has like several hundred pegs and just is like you look at four it and you immediately have like four inches. in you mm-hmm. oh, only no. four uh,
0: it's okay it's not the size it <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. so i want to i want to transition here and talk a little bit about makerspaces yeah
3: makerspaces man Those so
0: are... first question what what is a makerspace
3: Makerspace, Um, right, I told you all the benefits of a university, but that's pretty much all, a lot of it's BS, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bureaucracy in universities, Um, makerspaces are more community run workshops, so you can think of it as like a gym member pays for a gym membership, a monthly gym membership to use all of the gym equipment that they would otherwise not have space to store in their house. Um, But a makerspace is a place where people pay a membership to go use equipment that they would otherwise not have access to. This is more of a community oriented space. So yeah, people of all walks of life can come. Um, Electrical engineers, um, artists, artisans, um, a lot of people, a lot of people can come to the makerspace that I typically go to is uh, Tinker Mill in Longmont. A lot of people come to Tinker Mill and uh, work on uh, their their mobile setup. So you know they they you know have a bus that they want to turn into you know a traveling van, and um, they they have a lot of fun doing it. And then they just head off to go travel some more. Yeah, there's there's so much you can do. At a makerspace
0: um,
1: if you ever feel like a social outcast go to a makerspace and they <laughs> always welcome you there
0: <laughs> yeah cool i wanted to ask you guys uh so what's this what's the social landscape like there
3: yeah so you know you have all these people who are passionate about making and they all end up in uh, makerspace together and all different walks of life you know there's sometimes there's even you know you got the entrepreneur who wants to, you know, spread um, spread his love and donate money to the Tinker... Or sorry,
1: <laughs> donate. Uh, he associates makerspace with a very specific geographical location.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there are so many of them. Like, um, you know, I was I was at the one in Madrid, and you know, there's there's educators who want to um, teach kids. There are People who are just passionate about inventing their new products. Um, there's
1: artists, who, gamers, gamers. Yeah, exactly, gamers. Um, Both of the board and video kind.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's just like a hodgepodge of like all the cool people that you know you don't find elsewhere. You know,
0: mm, that's really awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you say the environment is kind of uh, it's it's kind of diverse in that you have maybe supportive elements and and cooperation, people cross-pollinating in their own different projects? Yeah, Um,
1: I mean, the analogy I would use is, like, imagine being in, like, the 60s in, like, San Francisco when you have, like, the Grateful Dead and, like, Jefferson Airplane and they're all, like, jamming out together. Imagine that with, like, technology.
0: All right. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome
2: what would y'all you say you've learned about like uh cross-disciplinary collaboration with people who have come from very different skill sets and that kind of thing?
3: Uh, yeah. So like when I was on my senior design team, right, we were all mechanical engineers and we could all, and we knew a little bit about uh, other things, but you know, all we could do is like produce like a really good mechanically engineered thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of slap all the rest of the stuff under the rug and hope it looks pretty at, at expo, but, um,
1: you can market it. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, we, we didn't know what to, what to do with it and bless their hearts. They're, they're still working on their project. Um, but, uh, this, this cross-disciplinary team, like we we're able to network with so many different people on so many different rocks of life that all had, uh, like advice and input onto. How we should do our product. Working working in a cross disciplinary team, um, you know, we get we get input from artists um, and electronic engineers and um, people who know about like, you know, how to do logistics and shipping and all of that. But the, but they all want to share because a lot of a lot of maker culture supports the idea that information should be free more or less
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know if if you give out your knowledge and expertise then you can have the liberty to ask for information and expertise and help on your project
1: so
4: mm-hmm.
1: i mean on the Edboard team we have members on our team who have like really good graphic design skills somebody on our team does like websites for like therapists another person on our team teaches drumline another person on our team you know is also like a business major too and i'm a market so it's like everybody on the team offers something and in return we are reciprocated with support Mm -hmm. i'm being like oh thank god you're here (laughs) you know that sounds nice that's like kind of the main like that's Mm -hmm. Like there's are moments where you you do deal with like holy crap I'm over my head but <laughs> that's kind of the best part about it and <laughs> the good thing for us too is like we've been able to network with incredible mentors and support and like people who like I have yet to show Edboard to a single person who looks at that and goes okay i will never take that that whatever
3: well there Every... there there have been there have been people who are like oh that looks kind of like xyz or it's
1: better than xyz yeah, yeah. no we, we we have the
0: same thing in music whenever you show show off your music like the worst thing that someone can say is oh that sounds like this other composer
1: <laughs> have you ever heard so and so no that's i mean have you ever read the book the creative class no no by a guy called richard florida It was like a book I had to read for school, but he had this really interesting concept that like the main export in America is creativity.
4: Mm.
1: Like that's the main thing we as a country provide the world is our creativity. So if you look at, you know, look at your, so Apple makes the iPhone, right? How much does that cost to make overseas and how much do they sell it for, right? So what are you paying for? You're paying for that creativity.
2: Mm. Interesting. Right? Mm. Yeah, someone had to have the idea.
1: Somebody, you know, somebody had to have the idea like, "Well, what if I put a touchscreen on a phone and like all that multi-touch stuff, right?" Mhm. So that's what you're that's what you're actually paying for when you buy a product, and the idea is that in a, you know, that's sort of where the American economy is going. We used to be like a labor, well, we used to be agricultural like back in like the 1700s, right?
0: Sure. And maybe that the the trend I've I've heard, I've heard the theory as well that the trend might be shifting away from the United States as we are continuing to de-accentuate funding for education.
1: Oh, totally, mm-hmm. right? We're going from away from an economy and a society that builds things to a society that provides services, right? Sure. So I think, you know, you can apply that to a makerspace and that's like creative people go there. Same thing in music, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of at the same concerts. You You, you kind of see the same people If you start going out enough places and you're all kind of in the mix together,
1: so the concert's the gathering point of the musician, huh? Mm. Yeah,
0: (laughs) and the makerspace is the gathering point of the the dorks. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey! I'm proud. I'm I'm proud to be a dork. Your
1: instrument. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Uh, I I spent I spent some time at uh, the BTU lab in. Yep at cu
1: that's a cool
3: place right Mm
0: -hmm. which is where i met luke i believe
3: yeah that's right um i think that was back when the btu lab was in the environmental design building too
0: yeah when it first started out and then it shifted Mm -hmm. to the atlas
1: yeah yeah the media production people took that over the second floor oh Hmm. yeah
0: okay (laughs) uh so i actually yeah i wanted to ask you um So you mentioned that there's some maybe bureaucracy involved with the school, and I wanted to ask you about how the makerspace within the school and the community there relates to the organization of the school as a whole.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So the BTU lab is, let's see, they, they pride themselves on ingenuity, you know, not not doing like the norm. Theoretically, it's open 24-7. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, um, they're like, oh, we're closed and we can't have you swipe in. Like, go to Mm. other makerspaces. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of their, their, their part of being in the university is that the organizers of the makerspace inside of the school still have to deal with that bureaucracy and having to, you know, let that pass through but there there is a lot of there are a lot of like novel concepts that come out of it because um, of the creativity that's inspired there you know you have special guests from all walks of life come in and take you know give uh, lectures on topics and do do like meetings and uh, hands-on workshops um, it's mm-hmm. it's a huge place for hands-on workshops right for like make your own XYZ um, solder your own, blinky circuit um Mm. so your own oh what was it i i i I do remember clearly um cast your own duck your wax ducky (laughs) yeah
1: what i mean isn't the other thing too about college is that you're just exposed to so many different like ways of thinking right in your life like you're never gonna expose like this amount of philosophy or this amount of art or like literature ever again in your life right
0: I don't know. Oh. I mean, not not in that like
2: short span of time. No, no, sure. like
1: you're not gonna like w- you're not gonna be like in a cafeteria and you're gonna strike a conversation. Some guys like a physics guy with like a minor in philosophy, and you just get in this really like you're not exposed to, like so many different stuff mm. so quickly. Yeah, sure. just when you're in college. But like the other thing too is like, college is clicky. You know, there's not mm. a lot of like cross disciplinary like you know especially at CU right cuz the engineering building is all the way across this you know campus from all the other stuff mm. like all my classes were over in the environmental design building or over in some other building b- over there
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, actually another thing i wanted to ask so so you've noticed maybe some cliquiness and separation between the different disciplines um how, how does the university setting affect the social environment within a maker space like is there more stress um, more competition elitism um
3: okay so here's the thing so CU, you know they create a department that is that is right between the art building and the engineering the physics building actually um and they they put it there to, um, call it the art and engineering building. And theoretically you're supposed to have all these, um, artists and engineers mix. Um, but you know, that, that department, you know, still wants to get its funding and all its stuff approved. So they're like, Oh, you must be an uh, what's it? The Atlas, uh, student to use these resources. And there's, there's our new category and our art and engineering students. That are uh, combined into one category, and mm. you're different than an art student, and you're different than an engineering student. Um, mm. I, you know, I was I was never an Atlas student, and um, I'm sure Cody could speak more to this.
1: Our the Edboard co-founder. The,
3: our Edboard, yeah, he's the CEO and co-founder. Um, but uh, yeah, like you you create an, a new category that is art and engineering. And it's like, wait a second, don't we just want to like have them just co-pollinate always? No, Mm. Um, it's now creating a new category. And um, that's, that's something that probably differs like a, a school makerspace from a community run makerspace. Fascinating.
1: But they are trying to be better at being interdisciplinary. and Getting more, like they're building this bridge that connects the engineering building and the business building and the ideas that the two will intermix more hmm.
3: right and Sounds um expensive yeah oh <laughs> uh-huh.
1: if you wanna yeah let's let's get universities to are good more. at
3: spending money on buildings <laughs> um build a bridge <laughs> build a bridge mm-hmm.
1: um. I bet there's an entire department at CU which is like the Department of Building and Requisition of Land. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the planning sure like the Center is. for Planning and Building or something like that, right? Um,
3: and so I was you know, I was I was an engineering student. Thankfully that yeah, there were quite a few uh open open houses and open like conferences that I could go to that, you know, would allow engineering students to, you know, mingle with music students. It's probably how Eric and I met and Mm-hmm. Um, the BTU lab was open to the whole campus, right? Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know how much you could speak to your experiences at the BTU lab, but
0: yeah, I mean, or as a music student. or yeah, yeah not, as a music student. <laughs> yeah, so I. I guess I got involved with uh Hunter Ewan, a professor uh, at the music school. Trevor, we were students of of Hunter's, and uh, maybe in a moment, Trevor, you can talk a little bit about what it was like to. To do stuff yeah. with Hunter because he's fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs>
2: that was that was probably the most makerspace spacey stuff I ever did was with Hunter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so
0: so my first introduction to the BTU lab was a class that Hunter Ewen taught, and it was supposedly getting art students and engineering students together collaborating on projects in the same room. Now, I think there were two music students and the rest was all engineers, um, which (laughs) it was still, it was still a cool class. um, And it was cool to have that level of exposure of, of people who, if, if they didn't know what they were doing, at least they knew a little bit more what they were doing than I did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, I think I think
3: a reason why there's more engineering students than art students is, hmm, oh, I wonder why that. Is. Maybe I I think I think I think engineering tends to be like a a sort of tense up, do your math homework, do your calculus, like, and you know people people just need a release, just like a you know a a class just to you know get their creativity out. A lot of engineering students don't really get that opportunity um
1: i also think a lot of people go into engineering because they think it's a field that they'll make money in or that they'll bring mm. them some level of prestige right right it's like how like parents you know want their kids to be like doctors or like lawyers right i remember my grandma for years was like you should learn computer science they make a lot of money in computer science and I'm like but that's not what i want to do
3: yeah exactly and um you know i you know, I was walking down the hallway, you know, I think I just got out of an, ex- an exam uh, in mechanical engineering. And it's like, yeah, the, some of my peers are like, oh, yeah, we're only in, in mechanical engineering because we don't understand the computer science stuff. But obviously you want to go into computer science because it makes more money. And I'm <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I got into this because I like to make things and invent things.
0: Yeah
1: you're going to be way better in college if you're studying something you want to do, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that, that uh, kind of relates to my own experience in, in college where I felt like there was this immense pressure. Um, you know, you're spending a lot of money to prepare for your future, to be able to make more money when you're out in the real world. And there's so much pressure that there's no time really to stop and consider what you're doing and why. And if it's something that you really want to be doing,
1: yeah. One of the cool things about I felt like when I was in my when all my advertising class, all my stratcom classes, for the most part, I felt like the people in there chose it, mm. like they wanted to be there. Like we were also like a super new department, so there was also a lot of pressure from the school to like get your get your awesome internship and like make your mark and be awesome.
0: Mm. That's really cool, you know
1: bring prestige to this newly developed program. But like it was super cool. Like I felt like all the students like 90% of them, 80% of them wanted to be there. The other 20 are like, you know, those people at college who are like there and you're like, why are you even here?
3: Mm. Well, they're there to party and
1: socialize with other... Oh, that reminds me of a really good story. (laughs) (laughs) I I was walking from campus one night were you on the we hill? Uh, I wasn't on the hill, but I was walking from the hill.
0: Uh huh.
1: So I was like, kind of like I was on campus, and I was this guy's like a freshman. And he was like commenting, I was wearing some jackets, like, cool jacket. I was asking like, what are you studying? I'm like, I'm a business guy. And he asked me this. He was like, what are you? I'm a freshman. So like, can I ask you a question? So realistically, how many classes can I skip in a semester? <laughs> and me being like a senior who's about to graduate, I'm like, don't treat this as a job, show up to work, do your work, you're going to get way more of it. But he's like, yeah, but how many classes can I skip? (laughs)
4: Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, if
3: it depends on the professor, like if they're counting attendance to see as your grade or, you know, maybe they're not. Um, Or if you want to be
0: there in the first place. Yeah. You know, there's
1: always guys in colleges where you're like, what are you doing in college? It's like... But
3: there's, there's people who can, like, get away with um, doing most of their, like, learning. Like, you know, online, you, lo- you just, like, do your do your homework, do your textbook, and, you know, the the, pres- the professor only cares if you turn in your homework and, you know, right. peace out. That, so.
0: That's so depressing to me, and it was extremely depressing when I was at school as well. Uh, especially when you calculate exactly how much money you're paying per minute of class time for your <laughs> tuition.
3: <laughs> what, what did it come out for you?
0: Uh, I forget, but I, it, it's some, something ridiculous. like uh-huh, Of course. M- many dollars a minute. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had a teacher once who he would often call out the student who was not paying attention and ask him a question and I always thought it was rude but I also kind of was like thank you for doing that for getting the guy who's like the least involved involved Mm. like he was easily like he was watching it like we'd be watching some clip you know some clip from some guy in some industry talking about like something and then the teacher would immediately call up the guy who's on his phone corner they like, so what did you think of the video? The guy was like, uh, I thought it was cool. So then he goes, like, so what did you think about his statement about like giving more workers time off so they could work? And he was like, yeah, I thought it was a a good state. And the teacher was like, okay, we're rewatching watching the video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Which just kind of a diva move, but I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I, I know
3: there, there are times when I would just like, you know, I'd take a class that I like really wanted to take and stuff, um but then, you know, halfway through this through the semester, I would just get like so phased, and it's like, mm. wait, I thought I liked this, and I know I like this, but I'm like so just drained. Why? I don't know.
0: Mm. So you think yeah. the stress, the overload?
3: Yeah.
1: Leave it. Yeah, leave it to the college to make interesting things not interesting. <laughs>
2: Yeah, i feel like being in the music school is kind of a unique situation because obviously like most people who are there are really passionate about music but mm. especially with the performance majors they would kind of a lot of them just wouldn't care that much about anything that wasn't playing their instrument mm-hmm. so like any kind of music history class or anything like that you know you you get some some people who would who would kind of have the the like just kind of uh uh do as little as possible to get by yeah, type right. of mindset yeah <laughs> right
3: and i mean those music history classes yeah they're music history but um
1: hey i'd love a music
3: history Or like class. theory.
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i had the the most maybe the most influential class i ever took aside from hunter ewan's classes which trevor i want to hear about your experiences with hunter uh one of the most influential classes i ever took was a music history course at conservatory in amsterdam
1: mm-hmm Really? Yeah. It yeah. Was,
0: it, it kicked my butt. It was very challenging and involved, and it was just fa- fascinating and really shaped my entire worldview.
1: I had a. I went to Amsterdam too. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey.
3: hey.
1: Hey. I remember my. Uh, the cool thing too about the Stratcom department at CU was like all the teachers were like super accomplished in their fields. Like my. My campaigns teacher, which is basically, like, the senior design capstone class, was, like, the brand manager at, like, Johnny Walker. The other teacher I had was, like, the junior partner at, like, one of the biggest ad agencies on the planet. Mm. The other one was, like, the brand manager at Lowe's. So, what you got... So, what I got from my department was I didn't have very many academics as professors, but, like, people who worked in the field teaching me, like, how to work in the field yeah that's always which makes i think education so much more appealing and interesting
3: yeah it's you know adds a level of like culture almost to um an otherwise run of the mill topic you know like my dynamics professor you know he would he every now and then he would show like something you know interesting like a really cool application of the results of you know their his research and work and study and um That added to the class for sure.
2: Yeah, so I I think I only had one class with Hunter as an actual teacher, which was an audio recording Mm. class. Um, But the big kind of project thing I worked with him on over, I guess, about a year and a half was the the Bison iPad Ensemble, Mm -hmm. um, which was this group of five or six people, mostly composers, that uh, we would use Max MSP to uh, basically turn iPads into different kinds of instruments uh, either is like each, you know, each person has the same instrument or it's all one kind of big meta instrument that people are controlling different parts of. Um, but I learned a lot from Hunter just about how to work on a project like that and, and problem solve and just kind of keep, (laughs) keep going no matter what. (laughs) And, uh, and (laughs) yeah, we did, we did a a few like big, uh, like multimedia, uh, performances in, in Atlas and, uh, yeah, the way he knew how to just orchestrate everything and 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 all that was pretty inspiring. <laughs> For sure.
1: Yeah, my campaigns teacher, Michael Stoner, was like that too. He was like the best way I could describe him is that he kinda was like that teacher who was there to like give people like not to teach but like to give them life advice mm-hmm. and like he was there because he wanted to be mm-hmm. there.
2: Yeah, taking a very, very deep approach to everything and really thinking through the reasoning behind every decision. And, and yeah, really trying to examine things from every point of view.
0: Yeah, he taught me about the engineering process, the, the cycle of creation and uh, iterative, the iterative process mm-hmm. of, of the design cycle. Yeah, design cycle, design mm-hmm. thinking. Uh, yeah, Luke, do you want to we... talk a little bit about the design cycle? Yeah,
3: so basically, and I just got this really cool game. It's called Mockups. Um, that uh, I mean, heck, we could we could uh, we could throw some ideas out right here, um, and and then we could and then we could talk about <laughs> all it. All right, so. yeah,
0: do a little, a little all right. design process live right Ooh, now. Oh,
3: wow. Okay, wow. Okay, okay. All right. All right. I got. Oh gosh. Like real <laughs> time, folks. <bro. laughs> Adventurous, pre- it, yeah. adventurous preschoolers want a way to dispose of <laughs> nuclear waste that is off the grid.
2: Wow! Catapults. So basically, the the
3: human the human centered design <laughs> process is you you want to think about the um, customer that um, <laughs> the customer that you're designing a solution for. Um, so mm-hmm. it gets you to think in, instead of. Oh, how about this really cool thing that I want? I want this like one like idea that would just be like really cool and like you know my own little idea in my own head um, instead of like thinking about putting your feet in someone else's shoes and what kind of project they, product they would want. So we have, hmm. yeah, you know, we have adventurous preschoolers. I, I'm still trying to think of a scenario of why they would want to a way to dispose of nuclear waste,
1: they live, like, downstream from, like, a still-water nuclear power plant? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about, like, the, the
3: kids and the, the toys and the lead paint, you know? They could, like, chew on it and soak on it, and then they dispose uh-huh. of it by pooping it out there, or
0: absorbing it. All right, good, <laughs> good first iteration. Uh, do we come into any any design flaws with this?
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're either gonna get superpowers or they're gonna become like incredibly <laughs> mutated, mm-hmm. right? Let's see, uh, something
3: that's off the grid. Um, you know, so you have like these random design requirements. Like, oh wait, why does it have to be off the grid? Oh, it's because we're going to go to rural places and deploy this, um, solution. So, okay. We have to, we
2: have to iterate on their design. Maybe it's a post-apocalyptic and there's no group. Okay. So
3: it's a, it's an adventurous preschooler (laughs) in the setting of fallout then. Well, we want to keep these adventurous preschoolers safe. You know, they, they could be like wandering off in the backyard and, um, you know, daddy has a little special experiment in the backyard. Um, Oh dear! That uh, <laughs> we want to keep them away oh, from. God. So, uh, what do we need to do? We need to we need to like develop like this this sort of containment center that is childproof, right?
1: Can we throw the babies in like mini hazmat suits and give them a shovel? <laughs> Bro, yeah. yeah.
3: Anyway, wh- what we do next is uh, we go and uh, prototype this nuclear containment uh, device at the uh, at some place like a maker space and okay now that we have this nuclear containment device you know we can ask our our local nuclear specialist. so yeah you make the make the prototype iterate on it and you, know, you have to find you have to find manufacturers that that will build it or be the manufacturer i don't know did rodell manufacture these objects or
1: rodell was kind of just a giant consulting lobbying firm oh okay yeah they were really like hush they were like super hush hush about their whole like business operations yeah so we found out that they were like a subsidiary of dupont okay yeah yeah
3: yeah. um so you know you have to find all these like subcontractors and manufacturers and then you have to market it and all of that and so that's what that's what richard's doing is the marketing
0: yeah, and you so you have a kind of a diverse team of people doing different tasks, all working together on different stages of this design cycle.
3: Uh, right. So yeah, I'm doing. I've been doing most of the prototyping lately because, uh, who knows if the school is open or what. But um. Uh yeah, Tinker Mill has still been open, and that's that's another cool thing is once you become a member, you have 24-7 access to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing most of the prototyping, um, refining sort of, you know, the manufacturing methods. How can we make this? How can we make it quicker?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Which I know nothing about.
3: Right. And, but he knows about, like, targeting ads to Facebook and all that mumbo-jumbo.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, taking... So, engineers and marketing aren't very common skill sets that cross over because engineering is a very precise, accurate way of communicating, right, mm-hmm. Luke? Yes. And marketing's like, okay, your transparent, you know, integrated circuit building kit inspired by a breadboard is cool and all, but like, how do you get parents to look at that and go, I want it? My kid will benefit from it. They will, you know, I want my kid, like, so you, so what you do is you distill it to a universal truth, some like, you know, something like super, super granular and you just keep and then you message that message simply, right? And you have to know who you're talking to, which involves a lot of like research and digging and a level of just like, I'm just going to stalk mom Facebook groups for a couple months and see what moms think right now sort of things and when you do enough of that you're like okay this is what people want to hear this is how we're going to say it we're going to talk you know we're not going to bring up certain words we're going to focus on other things we're going to talk about this awesome education tool that's going to teach your kid about technology right it's going to help your kid find their inner tony stark right yeah. Like if you're a parent, that's immediately mm. appealing, right? Mm. Yeah. So how do, how do you tailor your music
3: to different uh clients, different listeners, different uh mm. um what you tutor, right? So
2: Yeah. So uh yeah, I mean you really have to get a sense of what language people are speaking, like what they grew up around. Um like I have one student who <laughs> Uh, came in last week wanting to learn a piano arrangement of War Pigs by Black Sabbath mm-hmm. and then Love Will Apart by Joy Division and you just kind of like sprung those on me in the lesson I was like okay let's and he would like you know worked worked on it a little bit yeah. Um,
1: and you were like okay how does that song go again <laughs> dun, yeah dun, 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 dun. yeah yeah
2: yeah he'd he'd like he'd like worked out a pretty good arrangement but he was he was it was it was uh the thing he was he was wondering about is you know like certain things are idiomatic on guitar um like especially with war pigs that you it's hard to find an analog for them on piano so that's kind of the, the problem um but you know then i have this other other student who's like a i don't know 50 something year old math teacher who's really into classical music and and jazz and um and she, even, you know, like WC is like two, is like a little bit out there for her. Yeah. So I have to, you know, be, be aware of that.
1: Let's do Polonius Monk instead. Yeah.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. That came out in the last even, century. Even That's Monk. still contemporary.
1: <laughs> hey, 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 hey. That, 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 motes, that, uh, Bach guy, he's new music. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
2: yeah, it's, yeah, it's about knowing people's yeah comfort comfort level with with different yeah just different different languages and and styles and and yeah you kind of you kind of have to meet them where they're at uh because if yeah if you if you try to push them too much at least at first they're not gonna mm. they're not gonna really take to it and I imagine with advertising you have to like immediately go like to right where they're they're at you have
1: to <laughs> you have to know who you're talking to and what you're gonna yeah. say it yeah and there's always this I. There's always this push from the people who aren't advertising people to want to say everything that they want to say. And you're like, um you No know like how many adver- like have you ever seen a car ad and they tell you how the combustion engine makes them different from other combustion engines? Mm-hmm. No, right? I have, but <laughs> Right. But like most like car ads is like some really cool guy in a suit driving on some like mountain road or a guy in <laughs> a voice going. This is Precision. This is the new K*** Ultima. With a right? new V8. <clears throat> With a new V8. Only for 800, no APRD, down, da 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 You know, it's like, it's like, you ever know, like, I think the best example of, like, targeted ads are, like, Viagra ads.
4: <laughs> tell, right? Tell, it's always, like,
1: some, like, so it's <laughs> always, like, some really, like, tough cowboy guy, like, wrangling <laughs> up his, like, Horses, or it's some guy in a mechanic shop, right? Mm. It's like you've been around the block a few times and you know when something's not working with your car, <laughs> right? You know, you know, that yeah, you you know, sometimes the old girl doesn't perform like it does, but you still lo- like mm. it's all this innuendo. So, that's like the best example of advertising is usually when it's something a bit tableau. <laughs>
0: um, so Trevor, so we, we we talked a little bit about how, um, how, how we have to communicate in teaching. But then when it comes to actual musical expression in creating your own music, I think that is an entirely different landscape because for me, genuine music, it, it's not targeted toward a particular audience that exists, right? It creates its own audience. It's a unique expression. You're saying, this is what I'm doing. You can like it or you can hate it, or you cannot give a fuck, but if enough people like it, then it becomes a thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think you also have to be uh, conscious of kind of what, what, what culture or what, what kind of school you're creating. Because even if you think you're totally unique, you're still within some kind of, mm. you know, uh, larger, larger group of people creating things sure. um, who are likely also, you know, all kind of speaking the same language.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, but like I, I'm thinking about like for example metal and specifically metal with screaming. A lot of people hate screaming uh, and I, I think I, I actually have come to enjoy the sound of it uh, <laughs> but uh, it really puts a lot of people off and it, it's kind of this statement that says like my purpose in creating this music is not, to titillate your fancy i'm not here to make you feel good so that you're you're gonna buy this thing or or just feel good for whatever reason i'm just expressing myself and there's there's i think more value in music that expresses itself purely like that as opposed to trying to tailor itself to a particular audience
2: totally
3: uh I don't know, I don't know about you, but me um i I get eargasm every time I hear like a glitch music <laughs> with just a bunch of weird music, yes, and just a bunch of weird sounds <laughs> and then and then boom, like uh harmony
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and people have like a very specific definition of what a genre is or like what music is, mm <laughs> you know like there are people who's like rap's not music" and you're like "it's it's to a beat" <laughs> right
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah i mean i, I listen to some hip hop that has uh some some kind of retro sounding synth stuff but it's not it's not like purely purely electronic mm-hmm.
1: yeah. right it doesn't sound like a sega genesis exploded <laughs> right
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. i kind of wanted to ask you guys like what keeps you motivated and inspired and is there like one specific thing or is it something like like grand
1: I think it's one of those things that you come in with different intentions but you leave with other like I approached the work at EdBoard is like I need to get experience to get a job but the more I'm working at it and I'm like wait this is better than most jobs and then, like the more the more you get to the different like finish, like the different benchmarks of success, the more you're like, how far can I push it? But with that comes responsibility, and you're like, okay, I built the plane, the plane is on the runway, I gotta get it mm-hmm. off the runway. You're in the air, and you're like, holy crap, I need to land it. I've never mm-hmm. landed a plane <laughs> before. Mm.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's there's some truth there. And also, you know, it, it'd be nice to get paid for doing it eventually. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, definitely a passion project for just wanting to get, um, you know, a new educational tool into the hands of people who are less advantaged. That's one of my big motivations. I taught a uh, summer camp once to a bunch of, um, you know, disadvantaged um, kids in the I Have a Dream program. And that, you know, that was pretty rewarding just to see, you know, them, like, learn so much and, um, you know, grow from the experience.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot of things that college doesn't teach you.
3: Yeah, like how to interact with real companies, that's for sure.
1: Hmm. How to get your product manufactured like how to find a manufacturer and work within Mm -hmm. your budget right
3: yeah and we did a little bit of that for senior design but you know it was mostly just for show you know a lot of people you know just wanted the grade and that that was the end for them but you know there's so much there's so much more Mm -hmm. you could take it
1: yeah i mean Mm -hmm. for you guys with music did you have like a moment when you were like doing music outside of school where you're like wait School didn't prepare me for this.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, so I, I started playing in like blues bands, like about, uh, I guess it would have been about about two years ago exactly, a little more than that, and like all that, like learning s- songs on stage, and like, I mean, basically, you know, all the, all the stuff by ear, like I, like classical training didn't prepare me for that a whole lot. Um, it was very different,
1: <laughs> right? And like the logistics of being in a band, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's way more free form, because like especially it, it you know, uh, like conservatory style music school, a lot of the structure is provided for you, and you know there are certain ensembles and that you're put in, and um, you know p- people are kind of you know recruited to to play your pieces um, a lot of the time, um, so yeah, it's 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 way more loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. Outside the, outside the uh, walls of the school.
1: Yeah, I mean, you also Eric brought up the social aspect. Yeah, I mean, I was involved in improv at CU, hmm. which is like it's the closest to being in a band without being in a band. Because hmm. you're with a bunch of creative people, you have to like run the thing, and then because everybody's creative, there's always a level of divaism. Yeah. Or not diva, but like everybody's mm. got opinion their own. for how
3: yeah opinion for how the piece should go, right? Mm.
1: Right, and you're just going back and forth, and it gets really heated. But that's kind of the best part of the process, I'm finding.
0: Interesting. Yeah that that that, that puts me in mind of a of a particular class I did with Hunter Ewan. So one day he decided, what would happen if? we get the whole class which was 11 dudes and one woman um and just have that kind of like aggressive free form collaboration where everyone is trying to flesh out this project and everyone kind of has their own ideas and wants to be heard and shape it the way they want and for for me uh, personally it was one of the most stressful hour and a half that I've ever what? lived. Um, c- c- Cause
1: I know, right. Yeah. It, it, it,
0: it, it kind of felt like the space in the conversation was continuously pushed out as people were so intent upon getting their own voice to the top and the, the volume in the room just continually kept rising and rising and rising. It is, is very, uh, it it didn't feel, I don't know, we, we got stuff done. That's the thing. We did get stuff done. We came to decisions. But at the same time, the energy just was very uncomfortable. And it didn't feel like maybe the most optimal way to approach it.
3: Yeah, everyone's, everyone's right.
0: compromising with
3: everyone else on the creative direction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that was like when we were doing improv shows, we'd be like, no, the montage has to come after the Ron, but the Ron has to lead into the, and you're like, (laughs) everybody's just kind of like yelling back and forth at each other ideas. Yeah. Right. But like every idea is building off of each other just by the sheer nature of how ideas spread.
0: Mm, That's the cool element, right? The, The course over the course of the semester, we, uh, collaborated on and produced, uh, a an album oh okay
3: oh i want to hear that
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty cool i mean basically each person made their own track on their own and we shoved them all together but there's there's some really cool elements as well like we wrote down all our dreams and compiled them into one mega dream Uh, and then cut that into chunks as inspiration for each track oh cool (laughs) <laughs> that's like the coolest concept album ever yeah it was awesome and someone did the art and created these unique cover arts yeah for each person
1: and has that album ever been released
0: uh there's j- just for the class
1: <laughs> oh. oh man all that human creativity mm-hmm.
3: yeah that's cool um i mean in engineering right there's things like that called hackathons right Uh, people Mm. people group up into groups um and they sort of you know come together over like how to solve a problem how to get preschoolers to dispose of nuclear waste and um (laughs) (laughs) and you know they they brainstorm all these ideas and typically during a brainstorming session you know there's a couple of rules like you know all ideas are valuable and um like don't shoot down any other ideas because that that might keep other new, um, unusual ideas from spawning. And even mm. those uh, unusual ideas could, um, play a part in the end product. And then once you, once you start going and prototyping, prototyping they call it is where you're like making the cardboard mock-up of it. Um, mm. and you know, you, you, just keep, you just keep making a, a design, um, until you, you have like a, you know, project that you can like present, you know, to the rest of of the the session
0: cool Mm -hmm.
3: so it's interesting how how um you know you have all that collaboration in different different groups like that
0: yeah what's the coolest thing you ever saw at a makerspace?
1: i'm trying to remember all the things i've seen now (laughs) i remember you got an organ to play africa's toto oh
0: (laughs) yeah that's right um
3: yeah it was an automatic organ I don't know if you ever saw that Eric but um no uh man I yeah they they unfortunately they dismantled the organ um this March cuz it was just taking up so much space but it was it was basically a giant um probably the size of three or four refrigerators um organ all in all in one and um it was midi controlled um, so I had a computer, I had a, a little Raspberry Pi running uh, the MIDI notes from, uh, from the organ console to the organ itself. And um, yeah, it was just open and closed valves, and there was, was like a little fan that kept blowing air. Um, hmm. And yeah, you could, you could play all kinds of different music. It was, it was pretty neat. It was kind of, <laughs> it, was kind awesome. of it wasn't well maintained, <laughs> so it was kind of like out of tune. But, you know, that uh. gave it some character.
1: So you heard like Africa by Toto, but it sounded like it was coming from like a recorder? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've always wanted to do something like that with harmonicas, with just like a fuck-ton of harmonicas with different, <laughs> like,
1: yeah, like, different play, keys like, and stuff. You gotta play like a song that everybody just goes, that song. Yeah. <laughs> Never gonna give you. A...
2: Definitely continuing by Corky uh-huh. Liggetty. <laughs> yes. Gosh. Yes.
1: I did. Speaking of other cool things, I saw this wasn't at a makerspace, but one guy built a dragon out of like used like spoons and knives and like car doors.
0: I built a dragon.
1: Yeah, but this thing was like life size. This is oh. like the size of like this was like a size of like a Humvee.
0: Wow.
2: There was one of those where I used to live in in California that would be in all the parades, like junk junk metal like dragon that would like breathe fire and and shit.
1: Yeah. We had a this was yeah, this guy would show up at like Renaissance and it was like this giant metal dragon made out of like spare metal parts, and the cool thing about it too is like it'd spit fire. Nice.
4: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. Right, Luke, we forgot to ask. What was the coolest thing you saw in a makerspace? Oh, the
3: coolest thing I saw in a makerspace well, I was the main proponent of the uh, raspberry pi project because it, it used to be run by like this old like windows xp machine and it's like okay we need to open source this thing and, um so i did um and open sourcing by the way is um again a very uh valuable thing to the maker community is just to you know open contributions of uh, software and hardware to projects um, in order to further innovation um, by your average uh, maker, innovator, inventor. A lot of softwares, you know, has open source backgrounds.
0: That is a lovely obscure answer to the question: What's the coolest thing you ever saw making? <laughs> that is a
3: really obscure answer. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's 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 the Luke answer.
0: Um, Look <laughs> like a true engineer.
3: Wow! Yeah, that was that was <laughs> um, answering my own questions that I don't even ask. Um. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I like that. I like how you just consider enough to like explain a thing that you're not sure if people know. Uh, yeah, and then I just
3: go down a rabbit hole, and that's just part of being an engineer, I guess.
0: Actually, that, that's that's really interesting. i I've, I've actually wondered this in the past. Because there's this stereotype for engineers to be awkward and uh, have difficulty communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like the engineering mindset actually induces that 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 state?
1: Uh,
3: yeah, to a certain extent. I don't know. I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but um. <laughs> Yeah, there there are very eloquent like professors. There are professors who will just sit there and look at the whiteboard and write math and expect you to know it. Um, <laughs> of course, the good professors are the ones that can explain something to an average Joe. Um, mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't really understand a subject until you know you can explain it to a five year old.
1: That's right? yeah. What my grandpa we, like. I mean, one of the most, like, socially gifted people I ever knew was my grandpa, and he taught, like, graduate-level electrical engineering. Hmm. And he just, like, he was the type of guy that you could have, like, a long social dinner for, and he'd just keep you entertained, and you feel like you're involved in the conversation. That's really cool. You know? It depends on the person, I think. Yeah,
0: for sure. But, like, with my own limited experience tinkering, uh if I spend a whole day trying to work out some circuitry or like some other engineering project, I would find it especially more difficult to communicate with other people because it, to me, it felt like a particular language where you have to be extremely precise about every minute little detail. And if there is something that isn't flushed out in your mind, you have to go in and, flesh out every little detail of that that sub element in order for the thing to work
3: right right
0: whereas with like communication like like uh you Richard with marketing you were talking about you know maybe the broad strokes when you're trying to communicate the ideas you don't need to go into every little detail you're just trying to get the overall shape of it
1: engineering I've met engineers who are like super precise in how they talk, like my dad mm-hmm. just talks like an engineer 24-7, <laughs> and the way he'll talk to me often is that he'll begin to lecture me about some subject he finds interesting, and then there's other times I meet engineers that are like, yeah, I'm working on the thing. It's acting kind of wonky, you know?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You're like, what's wonky? I don't know. It's just being hinky. And you're <laughs> like, is that a technical term? <laughs> uh
3: yeah thanks thanks for um explaining the
1: engineering uh how people communicate yeah i'm not good at communicating <laughs> but yeah. engineers are both like precise an engineer can be precise and imprecise yeah, at the same time so um case in point to me
3: um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, remember remember that email that you you were like trying to help me, right? And I was like being like oh so God. like formal and like you know, this was like an email to um uh, my hiring manager for my
1: current job. Um, <laughs> God, it was he, he was basically like sharing he was sharing like the Edboard Kickstarter link <laughs> to a coworker, right? Uh-huh. And he wasn't sure if he should share it to this coworker And asked to share it with people that he works with, and he wrote it. Like, the best way I could describe the writing is, like, a cover letter Mm. to a potential, and like, you're like, if you have any questions, feel free to email me when you can. Uh (laughs) And I guess me being trained the way I'm at, I'm like, dude, ask him how he is, ask him how his family, be like, hey, I'm doing Mm. this thing, check Mm. it out. (laughs) Mm. I mean, is music like going back to the whole like technical thing? It, do you find music to be a very technical subject to communicate?
0: Ah, hmm. huh. layers, uh, Trevor. Oh, do you layers. want to tackle that one? Yeah, <laughs> d- d- depends on the context. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, well, again, yeah, I have to, I have to go back to the difference between like being in a conservatory, like classically trained environment, versus like playing with, like, blues bass bands or rock bands and stuff because uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the times, like, the, the simplest way to, to do something is just to demonstrate it and kind of, you know... Because if you're explaining... If you're trying to explain what to do, that's kind of just adding, adding an extra step a lot of the time. Um, but, then, uh, but then if the person doesn't get it... And I have this problem with teaching lessons, too. Like, if the person, like... Uh, doesn't get it. You have to kind of try different approaches to get them to understand what you're talking about, and to, you know, figure out where where that particular person will have the light bulb turn on their head.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I see your point, Richard, by asking that because it's such a multifaceted thing. That yes, there's so many technical elements about it that you can describe, but that maybe going into the details of it isn't the most effective way to communicate in certain settings.
1: Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Which can make education a problem.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one thing that Trevor, have you noticed this when you're in a lesson, like you said, sometimes the easiest way to communicate an idea is just to play it for someone. And Mm -hmm. students have this innate ability to pick up on very subtle body cues and minute motions and to recreate that immediately without any any hassle.
2: Yeah, you have to, I mean you have to be aware of if you're like below this certain threshold where it literally is just technique and like you know write notes and write rhythms and write figuring mm-hmm. and whatever. but after a certain point like if you're trying to you know tell someone how to play with like a certain feel that's either you know a little behind the beat or ahead the beat or whatever in a certain mm-hmm. way, that's that's really hard to do in any other way than just, you know right. <laughs> playing it and for them and them doing trial like, and error.
3: I'm teaching I'm teach programming and yeah, I can just like okay, press these keys, these keys, and I'm like, okay, semicolon at the end of every line and this has to be wrapped in this shape of bracket. Like I have to explain every single step or else the program doesn't run. But mm but with music like Mm -hmm. you know you miss a note and the music still you know has a sound at least
0: totally
2: yeah some people some people like structure some people like some people if you like say yeah here's these like four or five chords they'll like go crazy and then some people would be like i don't know what to do like this is this is like too much information or like it's
3: they 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 treat it like it's a computer program that they're trying to learn to write but it's not
0: <laughs> tell that to Milton Bell <sighs> yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah jazz, jazz is is, is interesting because like I, I know when I'm improvising like I it's it's like you practice certain patterns and then some the, the improvisation part is fitting them together in different ways and kind of you know modifying them each a little bit um, which I imagine it's, it's a similar thing with like uh, improv comedy. Type of stuff.
1: Half of improv comedy is just like reacting, and and then there's
3: improv invention too.
4: Mm -hmm. Is that an engineering Um,
1: thing?
3: (laughs) Improv invention is a is a thing, um, and it's mostly brought on by the maker community. You know, it's um, it differs from engineering where everything is like planned out to the t. Um, But I mean, a lot of times, in order to be able to Plan everything out to the T you have to sort of, you know, do some outside the box thinking and you know, improvise on like little bits in order to build the big part, right? Little bits.
4: (laughs) Yeah, totally.
0: That's really cool. Um so we're getting about to the my bedtime. (laughs) Um Is there anything else anyone would like to say or ask?
1: Uh, Support Edboard. We have our uh, Kickstarter running up. Just go on kickstarter.com, type in Edboard, cap- capital E, lowercase d, capital B, O A R D. We're really close to hitting our goal, and every bit helps. When's the Kickstarter end? August, August 20th. 20th. Okay.
2: Yeah, it sounds really, really cool what y'all are doing.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Like I said earlier, we haven't met a single person who's like, eh. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, are you like, are you manufacturing on any like large scale at all right now? Or is it just prototyping?
3: Prototyping at the moment. um, I just, I just laser cut um, five boards um, the other night with uh, a shiny flat new laser cutter bed. As much as I like getting my hands dirty making stuff, um, it's definitely not sustainable to, you know, if I want to like, get a product out. We're looking at manufacturers um, for, we're trying to get international shipping up and going uh, with these manufacturers in China. We actually, some of our team members are
1: Chinese and they're able to speak the language. So in non-engineer speak, we, we have a finalized-ish Board design. We're in the process of getting it to be manufacturable ready and hope to get these boards out within the year. <laughs> so, if any of you parents out there are just people who are like, man, I wish I knew how my MacBook worked or my PC worked, get yourself an Edboard and start learning about resistors and transistors and, it's, and LEDs. It's going to be a fun ride. LEDs. Mm. Trust us, you're gonna learn with it. We have the science to back it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Get on. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you here with us.
3: You too. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Everett.